chapter 9, Rebuilding Walls, Finding Your Place. This is our 13th lesson in this. Today I want to talk to you about personal repentance. Now, Nehemiah chapter 8 that we looked at last week was a time of national renewal and revival as they rejoiced in all that God had done in and through them in the rebuilding of the walls. Now we move into chapter 9, and what we see in chapter 9 is a national a time of national and personal repentance among the people of God. We also find in chapter 9 actually the longest prayer in the Bible. Now verses 1 through 3, what they do is they set the tone and perspective of this prayer. Let's take a look at it. Verse 1, chapter 9, the book of Nehemiah. Now the 20th and 4th day of the month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood in their place and read the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day and another-fourth they confessed and they worshiped the Lord their God. We see that a fourth of the day, the people of God began to, uh, you know, uh, uh, confess their sin. They began another fourth of the day to, to read the book of God. They did it with fasting. They did it with separation. They did it with confession. And that's where we want to begin here this morning. Let's th consider these three things about the perspective of this prayer with the children of Israel that brought about repentance into their life. Now, one problem with Christendom is that people think that they can just live the life, their life the way they want to and then approach the throne of God at any time whenever they so desire. But listen, we must understand there is a correct attitude in which we must approach the throne of God. You cannot just live your life any old way that you want and think that you can just walk into the presence of God at your will. Folks, it does not work that way. There is a, a correct attitude in which we must come into the presence of holy God you know God cannot look upon sin therefore we can't just come into his presence anytime we want to we can't involve ourselves in all manners of sin and then expect to just walk right into the throne room of the holy God again folks it doesn't work that way there's some things that we must do in order to prepare ourselves to uh, go into the throne room of a God. First thing is, sometimes there's a fasting involved. Sometimes it's required in order to get into the presence of God. We have to do so with fasting. You know, if you're truly serious about seeking God, there might be some times in your life that you have to demonstrate your sincereness to God by taking a time of fasting within your life. You know, when uh, I, I was, uh, you know, really confused once over whether I should leave a church, the last church I pastored. You know, I was there 12 and a half years, but about 10 years in, you know, I was, I was struggling. Should I stay here or should I go here? And I couldn't get an answer from God. So I done a twenty. I, I, I was going as long as it took to get my answer from God. But twenty-eight days of fasting it took me in order for God to answer my prayer. Listen, sometimes we have to just uh, you know go to God and fast and say, God, I'm going to fast for however long it takes for you to answer my prayer. God, I'm going to fast for however long it takes. 
for me to hear from you the answer to this prayer in my life. When was the last time you were so sincere in your uh, praying that you went to God and, and you just said, Lord, however long it takes, I'm just going to fast until I hear. I've done other fasts, okay? You know, three, five, ten-day fast, But 28 days it took me to get this answer. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to hear from God? Well, folks, sometimes that involves fasting. Sometimes that involves, you know, just uh, uh, denying our body the desires that it has for a period of time in order to gain direction from God. Look, when, when God means more to us than our selfish desires and we humble ourselves before Him, listen, you can truly come into His presence. Let me just encourage you, try fasting when you're truly seeking God for an answer within your life, whatever that might be. Now, the second thing is they're, they're, they're coming to God in sackcloth and ashes, what we see here. And what that is, it's a sign of humility and brokenness. Wow. That is something else we do not see in our churches today is brokenness and humility before the holy God. When was the last time you came to God humbly and broken over the sins that you have committed? We're living in a day and time people can just live however they want, and I'm talking about people who call themselves Christians. I'm talking about believers think they can just live their life the way they want to, and they do live their life the way they want to, and there's never any brokenness in their life over, over the sin they're involved in. There's never no humility falling down before holy God and, and confessing to God, this is a sin in my life. What has happened to the humility and brokenness in the hearts and the lives of God's people? Many in our day, they just try to forget their sinfulness through pleasures and, 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 and possessions. Well, you know, if I just go out and have fun, you know, or, you know, then I'll, I can put all this behind me. I can put these sins behind me. I'll feel good about them. Look, you can't escape your sin. Eventually, we all come to the end of our time, and we're all going to stand before the living God someday. And you may not answer for those sins here on this earth, but let me tell you something. One day you will stand before holy God, and there will be no excuses for the sins that you've uh, committed on this earth, especially the people of God. Look, when we humble ourselves before a righteous God is when we fall down on our faces and cry to God, Lord God, you're my only hope. You're my only hope. When was the last time you went to God and just fell down before him in humility and brokenness and said, you, you, you're, you're, you're my only hope here, God. There's nothing I can do about this in my life. You're my only hope. You know, it's when we fall down to him that we reach that point of true humility and brokenness before God. You know, we're saved as a result, uh, you know, of coming to the end of ourself and turning to God. That's how we were saved. We realize that there's nothing I can do about my eternal destiny. So what do we do? We come to the end of our ropes and we turn it all over to God. And when I realize that there is no more I can do, you know, I turn it over to God. I give it all to God. Lord God, I am a drowning man. Lord God, I need a Savior. Lord God, rescue me. Look, if you were drowning and someone came to rescue you, would you try to instruct them on how to go about it? No, you wouldn't. You would reach up and you would say, you know, just save me any way that you can. Folks, the same is true with God and his salvation. Listen to me. You can't say, God save me, but I want you to do it this way. 
Folks, it doesn't work that way. God saved me, but there's certain sins in my life I enjoy that I don't want to give up. God save me, God forgive me and save me, but there's some people, God, who have wronged me that I will not forgive. God forgive me and save me, but, 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 there's no such thing, folks. There's no such thing. That's not humility, that's not brokenness, that's not sincerity, and it will not bring forgiveness into your life, nor will it bring salvation into your life. Listen. Pride says, if I have sinned, forgive me. That's what pride says. Humility says, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned. Do you see the difference in that? That's two entirely different attitudes. That's two entirely. Listen, if we cannot come into the presence of holy God, or if we do come, uh, come into the presence of God, uh, the holy God with a puffed up pride, folks, we're not gonna, God's not going to hear from us. Okay? Thinking that we can dictate how the conversation is going to take place, that's not the way it works. Lucifer tried that one day, and he was cast out of heaven for it, and, and God created a special place for him called hell, and not only for him, but every other person who was puffed up with pride just like him. Look, if you truly want to come into the presence of God, folks, you have to be willing to humble yourself be sincere, be broken before him. And let me, let me just be honest with something with you here just for a moment because this, this just gets me every time I see it. And I see it every day just about. And, and, and y'all know there's certain things that are chiggers in my life. Y'all understand, I've told you that before. You know how a little chigger gets under your skin and just irritates you to death? This is one of those chiggers of my life. I see on Facebook, you know, people cussing. I'm using all type of profanity. I mean, even the F-bomb and all this other stuff, you know, on, on Facebook. And then the next post, they're telling somebody, I'm going to pray for you. I scratch my head and I say, wait a minute. I just seen a post from you just a few things up here, and you was cussing worse than a sailor. And now you have the audacity to say to someone, I am going to pray for you. Look, here, here's what, here's what uh, the psalmist said. Or James, I'm sorry. James had this to say about that. And so blessing and cursing come forth out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, here's what James says, that is not right. Do you hear what I'm saying? That is not right. And I'm just going to throw this out. We won't pass the plate twice for this bit of information, which you, you know, if I was to charge you for this, you would give all kind of money for this information, okay? But let me, let me just say this. If you're going to cuss out of one side of your mouth and then you're going to tell me that you're going to pray for me, no thanks. I don't want your prayer. Now, pastor, that's kind of hard and mean and cruel. I don't care. <laughs> You know, because I don't want somebody praying for me that hasn't been in the presence of holy God. And if the words coming out of your mouth is who you are, then you can't come into the presence of the holy God. Therefore, you can't come into the presence of the holy God on request for me. Does that make sense? Or is it just my warped brain that, that makes sense to you? No. 
You can't come to God like that. James said, this ain't right. You know, with cussings coming out of one side of your mouth and blessings out of the other, he said it doesn't mix. He said it's not so, people. Look, the second thing we can see here is that they separated themselves from others. You see, separation is sometimes required in order to enter the presence of God. Now, what do we mean by that? Look at verse 2a. And the people separated themselves from all strangers. You see, a simple fact is many of God's people, listen to me this morning, many of God's people need to separate themselves from their so-called friends. Let me say that again. Many of God's people need to separate themselves from their so-called friends. Now, I'm not suggesting here that a Christian shouldn't have any lost friends. The only hope of trying to get them to, or to getting them to Christ is to befriend them. However, if those lost friends are influencing you to be involved in ungodly acts, you need to separate yourself from them. Okay? If, you're, if your relationship with them is not drawing them to Christ, rather them drawing you to sin, separate yourself. Because if you don't, you'll never fall humbly before God. God will never hear your prayers. In fact, Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians. He said, therefore, come out from among the unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Says the Lord. Look, Paul could be no clearer that in order for us to be God's sons and daughters and have that proper relationship with him, folks, we cannot involve ourselves in the sins and the evil of the unbelievers of this world. We see in this passage the, the, the people of Israel were so serious about coming into the presence of God that they separated themselves from all strangers. Are you serious enough about coming into the presence of God that you would befriend some friend, because you know those friends are dragging you down. You know those friends are encouraging you to be a part of the evil they're involved in, the sin they're involved in. Are you so in tune to truly get in, the, uh, in touch with God that you're willing to separate yourself from them? You know, if you say, well, you don't know how long they've been friends. I don't really care how long they've been friends. All I know is you're choosing their friendship over your relationship <clears throat> with God. And that's going to affect you for eternity. Now, the next thing we see that they did is confession. Folks, confession is required in order to enter the presence of God. You know, when David came to God in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba, you remember the story, Nathan the prophet confronted him concerning that sin. Look, David didn't come making excuses. David didn't come making excuses. He didn't blame her and say to God, well, God, if she hadn't have been up on that roof taking that bath, you know, this would have never happened. <laughs> No, he, he didn't say that. He didn't blame her husband and say to God, well, you know, if he had been home where he should have been, she would have never come over when I did call for her. No, David didn't do that. David came to God, we're told, with a contrite and crushed spirit, and he confessed his sin to God. His confession was simple. Here's what he said. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Did he try to hide it? 
He told God, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin, and it's ever before me against thee, and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. There was no excuses. Do we make excuses for the sin we're involved in? Do we try to give God a good reason for allowing us to stay in that sin? Look, don't think that brokenness is a sign of weaknesses. Brokenness before the Lord, it's a symbol of our strength in the Lord. Look, when we're broken down, that's when God can build us back up. When was the last time that we confessed our sins rather than making excuses for them? So the perspective of this prayer is fasting, separation, and confession. And they all for, uh, and all must be done in order to enter the presence of our holy God. Now, who is the person of this prayer? The person of this prayer. This prayer is a review of the history of Israel. Look, people don't, if people don't understand history and learn by the mistakes of the past, they're doomed to repeat those same mistakes. Okay? Here's what we see in this prayer. This prayer tells us six things about God. First of all, it tells us he's a glorious God. Look at verse 6. He's a glorious God. Thou, even thou art, Lord. Now remember, this is the prayer they're pouring out before God. Even thou art Lord alone, and thou hast made the heavens, thou hast made the, uh, the heaven and the earth and all the hosts, uh, the earth and all the things that are in it, the sea and all that is therein. Thou preserveth them all, and the host of heaven worships thee. You see, our, great, our God is a great and glorious God, folks. He is the creator God. He is the sustaining God, you know, who, who, who makes everything, and then he sustains everything. The second thing we see in verse 8 about our God is he's a faithful God. Look at verse 8. And thou foundest his heart faithful before thee and madest a covenant with him to give the land to, of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the uh, Jebusites, and the Gezerites to give, I say, to his seed and has performed thy words for thou art righteous. Church, our God is a faithful God. Our God is the God who always keeps his promise. Uh, and, you know, if, if God promises, you can look for it to come to pass. The third thing we see, he's a mighty God. Look at verse 10 and 11. And thou showest signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For thou knowest that uh, they uh, dealt proudly against them. So didst thou get the, uh, a name all uh, as, excuse me, as it is this day. And thou didst divide the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea and on dry land. And their persecutors thou threwest into the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. Folks, our God is powerful. Our God is mighty. Our God is the can-do God because he is the creator of nature. He has control over nature. The fourth thing that we can see about our God, he's a generous God. God, love it. Listen, look at verse 15. And you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. Thou broughtest forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst and promised them that they should go into the, uh, and possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. Folks, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider and he will provide our needs and more according to his riches and glory we're told in the word of God. 
The next thing is he is a forgiving God. Thank God for this. Look at verse 17. And refused to obey, neither were mindful. Talking about the people here, okay? Even after God provided for them, even after God, you know, got them across the Red Sea, even after he gave them manna, even after he gave them water out of the rock, they refused, he said, to obey. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst them, but hardened their necks. Isn't that the way people are? God does and God does and God does for us. God provides, God provides, and God provides for us. And what do we do? We want to stiffen our necks sometimes toward God. God help us. He said, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to bondage. God had just taken them out, you know, and they hardened their heart. And they said, let's get somebody in charge here who will take us back to where God just delivered us from. Man, hard-headed people. They must have been Baptists. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and, and of great kindness, and forsook them not. Isn't that something? Even after that, he forsook them not. Even in their disobedience, God still forgave them and met their needs. Look, time and time again, we sin. But God is a forgiving God, and God forgives us, folks. When we harden our necks, even, even though we rebel, even though many times we return to the bondage that he has set us free from, he's ready to pardon us. He's ready to be gracious toward us. He's ready to be merciful toward us. He's slow to anger. And of his great kindness, he forgives us if we'll just confess that sin before him. But again, there again is the key. Are we willing to confess that sin? God, you know, great, our great king. Now, the next thing here is he is a holy God. He's a holy God. Look at verse 27. Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And in their time of trouble, when they cried to thee, thou heard them from heaven. And according to the manifold mercies, thou gavest them uh, saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. Yeah, God did turn them over to their enemy for discipline. And listen, God will discipline you and I, his children, when we wander off in sin. But he gave them to the enemy to discipline them. He allowed them to overcome their enemy, though. And we must understand that God is holy and he cannot associate himself with sin. If we sin, God cannot fellowship with us and God will discipline. He will chasten us those he loveth, the Bible tells us. Look, we as children of God must understand that we must not allow ourselves to associate with those who are involved in habitual sin and dragging us right into that sin with them. If we sin, God cannot have fellowship with us, and God will discipline us. Look, we as children of God must understand that we must not allow ourselves to be pulled down that road to sin. Too many times, though, we do as they did in verse 16. We harden our necks. We don't heed the commandments of God. And the Bible says when we do that, God is going to turn us over to that sin. Now the third thing here is the pardon of sin. Have you ever went to God for forgiveness of your sin in your life and it just seemed like there was no sense of forgiveness? 
I mean, you know you sinned, you went to God, you, you asked God for forgiveness, but it just seemed like that wasn't there. Let me give you four steps to experience in forgiveness, if you really experience forgiveness from God. And you know when you get up that you have. First of all, assume personal and total responsibility for your sin. Folks, here's where we mess up. Don't miss this. Assume personal and total responsibility for your sin. Look, there is no blaming others for our sin. These people didn't. David didn't. But yet, many times we do. It was not my fault. It was the fault of my parents. You don't know how I was raised. You can't blame your parents for your decisions today. Well, you don't understand that, that, that my spouse, you know, I don't want to understand your spouse probably, but the fact is, it's your sin. You can't blame it on someone. You can't blame it on society. That's just the way society is today. Look, the fact is, it's me. It's my sin. It's my fault. Folks, that's the way we got to come to God. Okay? It's always easier to blame others than assuming full responsibility. That's like the drunk that sits in a bar till 2 o'clock in the morning drinking and gets drunk and drives and kills someone. You know what he wants to do? He wants to sue the bar owner for giving him too much alcohol. Wasn't my fault I killed that person. It's that bartender's fault for serving me too much. You say, that's ridiculous, Pastor. Hey, it's happened. <laughs> but that's the way people are. They want to put the blame on someone else. Can I tell you something? Blaming others is simply trying to make someone else responsible for the bad choices and decisions that are really mine. Let me say that again. I probably should have threw that up on the screen for you. But blaming others is simply trying to make someone else responsible for the bad choices and decisions that are actually mine. Now, the next thing is acknowledge God's justice and prerogative to do as he will. Look, is it right to say to God, well, God, maybe I don't, you know, maybe I, I didn't do quite right. Only you know if I'm wrong, but don't be too hard on me. Maybe I didn't do quite right. Well, you know if you did or you didn't. In fact, if you're coming to God, you're probably coming to God because you know you didn't do what was right. So don't come to God and say, if I didn't do quite right. No, you come to God and say, God, I sinned. I was wrong. It's nobody's fault but mine. It's no, no one but myself. No, that must be our attitude. We must say to God, I was wrong, God. I sinned in your sight. Do with me as you will. Now, the third thing is, seek God's forgiveness. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says, you know, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, we must confess the sin to God. Many times we want to go to God in general and we just want to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And if we'll be honest, we've all been guilty of that. Well, preacher said I need to ask God forgiveness of sin. Okay, Lord God, forgive me of all my sins. What? And I'm sure God's looking down at that something. What? What? No, folks, listen to me. Listen to me here. Don't miss this. 
The word confess, if we confess our sin, means to tell it to God, to agree with God, to acknowledge my sin. Look, next time you go to God in prayer, just try this. Just try this. Instead of in general saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins, name the particular sin. God, forgive me, I lusted today. God, forgive me, I coveted today. God, forgive me, I defiled your temple today. God, forgive me, I gossiped today. God, forgive me, I cursed today. God, forgive me, I committed adultery today. Be specific with God and name your sin. Because now it gets personal. And that's where God wants to be with you, personally. But if you just go to God in general and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, you know, I may be wrong, but I don't think God's going to forgive you of those sins. And you know why? Listen to me. Because you're trying to cover them up. You're trying to cover them up rather than bringing them out into the open to God. Acknowledge to God specifically what you did. And I'm, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here, okay? He already knows. Okay, he already knows. You're not going to name something that you did and God said, oh, I missed that one. No, 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 no. He knows. If we confess our sin, it means to agree with God that it was a sin. Try that and see, don't you feel your sins forgiven more? And finally, rest in the promises of his forgiveness. Look, many never trust God to do as he promises he said if we confess it, he will forgive it. The hardest thing, though, for most people to do is forgive themselves. You know, God has forgiven you. Forgive yourself. Stop letting the devil whisper in your ear, God did not forgive you. Do you honestly think after what you did, God is going to forgive you? Do you honestly think after what you did, God is going to want fellowship with you? Do you honestly think after what you did, God is going to love you again? Look, if you... If, if Satan can get you to live haunted with the ghost of guilt, unable to rest, unable to trust the promises of God, he will defeat you. And that's what happens to so many people. Satan gets, gets them living haunted to the sin that they have committed rather than bringing it before God, standing on the promise of God that he said, if I confess it, he will forgive it. Let me just close with this. How serious are you with your relationship with God this morning? Let's just bring it down individually, personally here. How serious are you with your relationship with God? Are you serious enough to fast if need be? Now, let, let me just inject this. There are some who are on medication that you can't go without, you know, food, and God understands that, I believe. I know I understand that. But there's other ways of fasting. There's other things you can de deny your body of. But are you willing, all us healthy folks, are you willing to do that? Are you so serious with God you would fast for three days, 10 days, 15 days, maybe even 40? Are you so serious with God you're willing to separate yourself from the evil influences in your life if need be? Are you serious enough with God 
that you're willing to confess your sins instead of making ex- <coughs> excuse me <coughs> making excuses for them look do you truly understand the person of prayer and how much he loves you no matter how many times you slip no matter how many times you've fallen no matter how many times you have sinned no matter how many times you've turned your back on him he's always ready to forgive you're here this morning and you you don't know christ as your personal savior do you really understand that he will forgive you and pardon you of every sin you've ever committed in your life if you will just ask him to do so? Do you really understand that? His promise is if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the promise is you will be saved. You will be saved. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all evil. Child of God, are you sincere in your prayer life? Or is it just a hit and miss thing? You know, well, I pray before I eat, Pastor. Okay, I guess that's good. You know, well, when I lay down at night, I lay me down to sleep, Lord. Hopefully my soul to keep, Lord. Listen, I'm talking about is there a time in your life on a daily basis that you sincerely come into the presence of God, confessing your sins individually before him, not in just general. Only you know that. If you're here this morning you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, are you willing this morning to receive that free gift of salvation that he has to offer you? Only you can receive it. No one can do it for you. Let's go to God. Oh, I